Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Truly a joy to worship with you. My name's Nathan Kolar. I'm our lead pastor here. If I haven't met you yet, welcome. It's so good to have you in the house. We're beginning a brand new series today through the entire book of Proverbs. So we'll spend a lot of time this year in this book. It's called A Heart of Wisdom. There's one thing that we all do thousands of times every single day that literally shapes our lives. In fact, if you and I would get better at this one thing, it would drastically improve our lives It would also improve the impact of our lives in the world, and that one thing is decision-making. According to Frank Graff, he says researchers at Cornell University estimate we make 226.7 decisions each day on food alone. That makes me tired just reading that. Our brain thinking about food that much. And as your level of responsibility increases, so does the multitude of choices you have to make. It's estimated that the average adult makes around 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. And each decision, of course, carries certain consequences with it that are both good and bad. Yesterday, we were out as a family at one point, and I just wanted to track some of the decisions we were making, so I wrote this down. Yesterday... I drove around in a state that we chose to move to, on roads and paths that we chose to turn onto, in a car that we chose to purchase, near a house we chose to move into, near a church facility that we chose to be pastors of. And let me acknowledge, of course we know that God and others played a role in these decisions, but also we had to choose it. I was with a wife I chose to marry, coming up on 17 years, making that decision with kids we chose to have, and in our case, just keep having, in clothes we chose to buy and put on that morning to a place we chose to go, to spend money we chose to earn and spend in that way, to eat food we chose to put in our body, listening to music we chose to put on, thinking thoughts we chose to have, speaking words we chose to speak, with attitudes we chose to have, responding to one another in ways we chose to, frustrated with things we chose to let frustrate us, worried about areas we chose to worry about, and perhaps even making self-destructive decisions that we should be avoiding, and hopefully continually making the decision to turn our hearts to the Lord, and on and on and on the decisions go. And this is true for all of us every moment of every single day. Number one in your notes, and it's on screen. In a very real sense, you are walking around in a whirlwind of your own decisions. That's pretty amazing, but it can also be pretty daunting. It can be stressful because as you know, every decision comes with a result for better or for worse. Every decision has a certain weight to it that brings potential joy or potential heartache, potential safety, or insecurity, perhaps a sense of failure or success, a sense of faith or fear. And that's why we can sometimes get overwhelmed and bogged down with our decision-making. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but I think I, I know the answer. I'll raise mine. How many of you have ever 
laid in bed at night, just anxiously thinking about all the bad decisions you made. And maybe simultaneously thinking about all the decisions coming up that you were a little worried about. And when it comes to addictions and patterns that are negative, we even worry about decisions we kind of already know we're gonna make the wrong way. And this is just negative meditation. I sometimes do this after Sunday morning services. Maybe I'll be watching a football game or having some lunch with some folks or trying to take a nap. I usually can't turn my brain off for naps anymore. And sometimes after Sundays, I'm thinking, I cannot believe I said that in my sermon. Was that recorded? Can we edit that? Or sometimes I'm thinking, I can't believe I missed that. What is wrong with me? Bad decisions. We all make them. Sometimes if we're really making poor decisions, or perhaps if we're making decent decisions, but we realize the results are still out of our control. And we all, we all realize that. Sometimes we can live very wisely, but, but results are still out of our hands. And, and then according to Dr. Henry Cloud, who's a Christian uh, psychologist that I really recommend all of his uh, books if you haven't checked him out. He has something called the downward spiral of the three Ps. And I've used this for years. It has profoundly helped me. I'm gonna share it today and I'm gonna use it right now on the top end of this message. And then at the end, we're gonna close with something powerful. Um, when something goes wrong, especially if we feel like we've made an okay decision, but the results are out of our hands, our brain starts to almost decide things for us, and we begin to do this. We make it personal. So if we go for the sales call at work and we give it our absolute best effort and we still don't get the client, or if we, we try to make the right decisions with our family or our workplace to affect the culture, but it just doesn't seem to working, we start to think, man, something is wrong with me. I am just not enough. I'm certainly not good enough. Tragically, this happens with kids sometimes. If a little kid is desperately wanting the safety and love of a parent that they just can't seem to get, um, there's nothing they can do about it, what do they start to think? Something is wrong with me. This is my fault. That's why kids blame themselves for parents getting divorced and problems in the family. Sometimes a parent can lose a job and be stressed and a child can start to think it's their fault. We take it personal. And then according to Dr. Cloud, the downward spiral then takes us to the next P, which is pervasive. Pervasive means there's not just something wrong with me in this one area, I'm going to mess up every area of my life because I'm so wrong. I'm not good enough here, and I'm not going to be good enough in any of my relationships. Even if I get the promotion, even if that goes well, it's not going to turn out well. It becomes a pervasive thought. And then the worst of the three, the last P, is permanent. I don't know if I spelled permanent right. Is that supposed to be an A or an E? Thank you. I even studied the word before my sermon in hopes to spell it right. Permanent. Permanent. <laughs> I'll be thinking about this later while I'm taking a nap, <laughs> thinking, what's wrong with me? But this is where the downward spiral eventually takes you. Not only is, am I not enough, but it's going to mess up everything in my life, and it's never going to change. And that's a tragic way to live, but we can think that way about our decisions. We're gonna circle back to that. Here's the really good news. And it's number two.
God reaches into the mess of your decisions and my decisions, and he does two really profound things. The first one is he gives you salvation. That's the good news. That's the message of Jesus, the hope of the world. No matter how bad our decisions are, no matter how sinful we are, we're all sinful. We all are in desperate need of the grace of God. This salvation is a gift. He gives us salvation. That's the good news. And if nothing else, receive the good news today, guys. That's the good news. The second thing he gives us is wisdom. And that are, those are good tools. And they're two very different things. And we're gonna juxtapose those a little bit in the message today to hopefully help us understand and lean into wisdom. So in regards to salvation, again, if you've made bad decisions, which we could all raise our hand, I wanna declare to you, forgiveness is available. How great is it? How much of a breath of fresh air is it that in this whirlwind, this mess that we've made, even if we're at the very bottom of this pit right here, suffering, God speaks to you right in the middle of it. I forgive you of all that. You call on the name of Jesus. You accept his, his, what he has done for you on Calvary and you are forgiven. I mean, the promise is right here, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. And will what? Forgive us our sins. Forgive our poor decision-making and purify us from all unrighteousness. And of course, the gift of salvation we see articulated in Ephesians 2. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I'm telling you, in my life, all the time, uh, any moment of any day, once my life starts to feel like that whirlwind of decisions and the challenges and the, the stress, the anxiety, eventually I wise up and I call on the name of the Lord and I'm like, thank you for saving me from myself, God. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for calling me up. That is the good news. But it's even better because he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just leave us in our poor decision-making. He gives us wisdom. He gives us good tools. And the theme verse to just set up this whole year for us, because we're going to study this all year, Lord willing, is Proverbs 1 verse 20. And it says this, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. And then if you read the same verse in the New Living Translation, it changes the verb. It says, wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. And then in the English Standard Version, version another verb, wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets. She raises her voice. So we have this picture of wisdom out in the open at all times of every day, calling out to you, crying out to you, shouting to you, saying, I'm here. Sometimes we think the call of wisdom is kind of negative, almost like, almost like gloating over us. Hey, here's all the stuff you're getting wrong. Hey, hey here, here's why you can't do all this. But, but if you really, and by the way, there are a lot of rebukes in Proverbs, and we're going to look at all those. But when you look at the Hebrew word used for this verb, call aloud, shout in the street, cry aloud, the Hebrew word, and it's on screen, is ranan. And here's, here's the definition of it. It's to give a ringing cry, and it's cries of joy. It's to joyfully sing. There's other times in the Old Testament when that same word is translated as rejoicing. It's a shout for joy. It's singing aloud for joy. And I think this is such an important clarification. And it's number three in your notes. Wisdom is like a joyful song calling aloud, you can do this. And I want, if you think other than that, I just invite you to change the script. It's not a voice that hates you or is angry with you saying you can't do this. It's a joyful song saying you can step into this. This wisdom is created for you. Now, let me just caution you. I wonder, uh, as we study this whole book, 
you need to remember, and I'll probably say this every week, living with wisdom is not how we are saved. It's not like we can get our decisions in order enough so that we've earned our salvation. That's the gift in Christ. But living with wisdom is how we practically live out our salvation. We need to learn wisdom. So, so first, be at peace and, and, and take heart from number four here. You can rest from the pressure of perfect decision-making. Jesus alone has done it. He's the one. He made the perfect decisions. He lived the sinless life. We are clothed in his righteousness. You've got to get that point first. And if you're not a Christian today, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, or if you're just feeling like a a tremendous weight and burden around some kind of perfect decision-making, you have to let that go and receive salvation in a posture of rest. Look what Jesus says to our exhausted world. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, sometimes by our own decisions, you know. I will give you rest, he says. He says, take his yoke upon you. Learn from him. He is gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. It all starts there because, number five, perfect wisdom is personified in the person of Jesus. And I wanted to spend some time on this because we got to get it. Our little mission here as a statement, following Jesus, is the heart of wisdom. To follow Jesus is to to follow his ways of wisdom. If you want to see a life that perfectly lives out the book of Proverbs, study the life of Jesus. Even the one that God used to author most of Proverbs didn't live it out. He ended poorly. Solomon, we'll study about that uh, in this series. Jesus followed them for his entire life. He is the only one. And that's why we receive what he did for us and then we follow his example. And I want to read you a whole page out of this book by Ray Ortland. It's one of the books I've studied in prep for this. He just said it so well, it won't be on screen. So just uh, bear with me for a minute. I feel like this is almost done poetically here. He says, the book of Proverbs is a gospel book because it's part of the Bible. That means the book of Proverbs is good news for bad people. It is about grace for sinners. It is about hope for failures. It is about wisdom for idiots. That should be the subtitle of Proverbs. Wisdom for idiots. Any idiots in the house? Can we just say it together? We need the wisdom of God. That's the whole point. This book is Jesus himself coming to us as our counselor, as our sage, as our life coach. The Lord Jesus Christ is a competent thinker for all times and all cultures. He is the genius. And he freely offers us, even us, his unique wisdom. Do you remember how he concluded his Sermon on the Mount? He defined the gospel as a call to wisdom. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Ortland goes on to say, let's not patronize Jesus Christ as a nice man who gives us warm religious fuzzies while we turn to the experts in quotes, whoever they are, the seriously qualified people for the challenges of real life. Jesus Christ is the shrewdest man who ever lived. No one ever outthought him. No one ever surprised him or cornered him in a debate. He was always out ahead of everyone, both his friends and his enemies. Jesus Christ is the best counselor for all people in all seasons of life. And the gospel says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. So it's important as we, as we go in to study this book, we don't think of it as something separate from the gospel. It's not like a little handbook that we should think about from time to time and then just focus on the gospel separately. It's part of the gospel. It's part of Jesus revealing himself to us. You guys tracking with me on that? 
It's important to have that. So part of seeking Jesus is seeking wisdom. And then once we have that in place, we lean into this principle, number six. While you rest in the finished work of Christ, you are there empowered to make the choice to now live with wisdom. And it could be said much stronger than this. You could say, while you rest in the finished work of Christ, now you must make the choice to live with wisdom. By way of example, you can't say, thank you, Jesus, for this great salvation. Please take care of all my financial needs. I'm just gonna sit here on the couch, not look for a job and trust you and watch TV. You're not taking seriously the call of wisdom. Proverbs says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Learn from its ways. So there's a disconnect. You can't then blame God for not taking care of your financial needs. Tracking with me? You can't say, thank you, Jesus, for this great salvation. Will you just help me grow into greater health in every area of my life, but you refuse to have a teachable heart? Proverbs talks about growing and being teachable, humbling yourself. So you can't blame God for your lack of teachability. So let me say it this way. It is possible to be, possible to be saved, to have your faith in Jesus, but have a miserable life because you don't follow the principles of God's wisdom. That's not God's fault. Anybody tracking with me? Someone said it this way. Stop complaining about the results you didn't get from the work you didn't put in. Right? Stop complaining about the prayers you prayed that you didn't follow up with wisdom. And the thing that's so powerful about this is when you, when you make sure you, you're walking in salvation first, pressure's off, then it's the joy of wisdom, right? It's you, like, if, imagine, it's like God could just wave a magic wand over your life and say, hey, you're now forgiven for everything. Hey, you've got a clean slate. Hey, I know you're dealing with some stuff, but why don't you make some decisions now as if you've been the best decision maker in the world for your entire life? He wants us to live with that kind of confidence as we hear the joyful invitation of wisdom. And what we can ultimately do, and and this is how I would invite you to reverse uh, the downward spiral of the three Ps. So rather than take the accusation of the enemy personally, I'm not enough, take the promise of God personally. God has forgiven me called me personally his beloved and told me that he's given me everything I need to do everything he's called me to do. Take that personal. Then take that personal promise and let it be pervasive. Rather than saying, I'm not enough, therefore I'm gonna mess up everything in my life. Say, I am enough in Christ. He's given me the tools and everything I need. Therefore, his promise is gonna flow to every area of my life. His promise is gonna flow to my kids. His promise is gonna flow to my workplace. His promise and goodness is gonna flow to my thought life, to just my daily schedule, my annual planning. This is a pervasive God and wisdom calls joyfully to you. And then even better than that, his love is everlasting. These are the permanent promises, the rock on which we stand. So we can flip this completely and begin to lean into wisdom. Isn't that an exciting thought? What would your life look like this year if you began to answer and lean into this question, number seven? What is the wise thing to do? Sometimes we're so obsessed over what's right or wrong and we get so consumed with God, are you leading this way or that way? And I'm not saying that's bad. Of course, don't sin, lean towards what's right, seek God for 
for direction and he will guide you, but also he gives us a brain to think, what's the wise thing to do? And then in the same breath say, what's the foolish thing to do? I would invite you to take a life assessment, subject your entire thought life to it, all your decision-making and put everything you're doing in one of two categories, wise or foolish, everything you're doing. And I have stuff in both, just like any person. And let's just say going into this new year, let's move a few things out of the foolish category into the wise category. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Let's do this as a church staff. <laughs> Let's do it, with, do it with your team. Do it with your family. What are the foolish things that I just keep leaning into that I can now move into the wise category? What a gift that God freely allows us to just move those things. And if we blow it again and fall into the foolish category, move it back into the wise category. What's the wise way to think even after a failure? There's a foolish way of thinking after failure. Even there, we, we make more poor decisions. No, lean it into the wise category. It's like develop for yourself this mantra, more wisdom, less foolishness. All in the context of this great salvation where he's ultimately done it all for us and we're just trying to lean into it and let our lives rise to what he has called them to be. As the worship team comes, I wanna share a story. My dad was a pastor. He recently retired and my little brother took over his church over in Pennsylvania my little sister's a worship leader there. Uh, my mom has served there for years. And my grandpa was a pastor. Uh, my grandpa and grandma's parents were missionaries. On that side, I'm fourth generation in Assemblies of God world as a minister. And when I was a little kid, my dad <clears throat> once took his full-size uh, sports coat and put it on me. He also did that with his, he was in the Navy, he was a chaplain as well, and he had a naval aviator coat. And of course, we're obsessed with Top Gun, still am to this day. I mean, ain't, where's my Top Gun people? I mean, come on. Can't you just hear the songs right now? <laughs> so I was all obsessed with, um, you know, naval aviation jackets. And, and he would put his larger ones on me. And when I got older, he taught me about how, you know, when I was little, my body didn't actually fit his coat but I was still wearing his coat. I still, I still looked pretty cool. I, I had all his patches. I, I, I would wear all his, he was a lieutenant commander. I would get to wear his, you know, awards. His, his life got to become my life. But I was a little kid. I didn't fit it. It was like flopping off. My arms are down there. But, but he taught me as you grow, as you grow into it. And if I start crying, I'm not crying about my dad. Don't laugh at me. I just get emotional before the Lord when I think about these things. As you grow into it, you start to actually fit the life of the coat that you were wearing as a little kid. And that's called sanctification. That's the theological word for it. It's growing into positionally what you have in Christ. And that's what the invitation to wisdom is. So as soon as your faith is in Christ, you're wearing the righteousness of Jesus. You, you can accept that today. It's done. The work is finished. That's why we use the phrase, you rest in his finished work. But your life can still be miserable if you keep acting like a little six-year-old kid wearing a big adult's jacket, right? You can make your own life miserable by ignoring the call of wisdom. So growing into it, it takes time, but you grow, you get stronger, your arms get bigger, you develop muscles, and you're still totally banking on you're wearing the life of Christ. You're now in his life, but your actual life is growing into it. Who here, like me, would love their actual life to grow a little bit more into the likeness of Christ? Like actually, in reality, 
Now my life is looking more like Jesus. Now I'm walking in that rest and in that peace. Now I'm making wise decisions. Money is no longer a burden over me, whether I have a lot or a little. It's my peace about finances is not dependent on that. It's because I am walking in wisdom and I trust him. The relationship challenges I have, no longer a burden, no longer causing me to want to quit about the challenges I face in the workplace or in my family or in that relationship. No, I can approach them with wisdom, cling to the promises of God, and even the things I can't control, I can control myself with wisdom, and you just grow up into the likeness of Jesus. Jesus at times had nothing but the most insane storms all around him, yet he lived and walked in perfect peace. And that's the invitation of wisdom.